0: 9 So larger qu- catechism 159 asks the question how is the word of god to be preached by those that are called thereunto so if you remember last week we looked at the calling of a preacher that Um, The the main people that ought to be preaching in the official sense are those that have been gifted and called um, and tested and put into that role. So we're asking for these people that have been called to preach, how should the word of God be preached by them? And so even though most of you aren't going to be those who preach the word, it's helpful to um, just have these categories to think of what does it mean to sit under faithful preaching? um, Because you need to know if you're sitting under faithful preaching or not. And um, even if you're for friends or family or whatever you're listening to, so we can be discerning. But also we want to be, in another sense, we want to be unified on what, as a congregation, we expect out of preaching— Everyone has a different opinion on what they want a sermon to be like. Everyone wishes, some people are like, oh, I love the long um, introduction I have a nice story that draws me in. Other people are like, cut to the chase, skip the story at the beginning, jump right into the text. Some want an hour of teaching. Some are like, no, just keep it a zippy 30 minutes, you know, lots of illustrations. People all want different things. But we want to kind of be united around the principles, and the ideas that we're coming from as we go to this. So the answer uh, to this question says, They that are called to labor in the ministry of the word are to preach sound doctrine, diligently, in season and out of season, plainly, not in the enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, faithfully, making known the whole counsel of God, wisely, applying themselves to the necessities and capacities of the hearers, zealously, with fervent love to God and the souls of his people, sincerely, aiming at his glory and their conversion, edification, and salvation. Let's ask the Lord's blessing. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have spoken your word to us, that you have preeminently spoken in these last days by your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, and we thank you Um, for all those that you have called to preach in his name and to bring his word to your people for their good. So Lord, would you help us even now as we look to this doctrine of preaching and would you help us to be unified in our hearts and to even gain a greater expectancy as we come to hear the word today and um, that we would also have hearts that want to pray for all preachers of the gospel and seek to grow from all the teaching and preaching we hear. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we're just going to go through each one of these um, quickly um, a lot of these have a verse attached to them, and I just was going to say by way of note. Uh, if you notice that a lot of the Bible references are from the King James Version, that is only because the, the catechism was originally prepared with proof texts added to the lines, and the proof texts were originally from the King James Version. So when I copy and paste, that's what comes in, and I don't feel like changing it usually. But also, sometimes the wording that they're picking up is specifically tied to that version, so it's easier to see the connections they're making Between the translation. So that's why often um, the Bible verses will be in that translation. Um, And so yeah, we're going to look at each of these phrases and also look at uh, maybe perhaps a verse that supports it and then a couple ideas. And like usual, feel free to throw out any comments or questions as we go. So we're starting off here. How is the word of God to be preached by those that are called thereunto? They that are called to labor in the ministry of the word. Okay, that's how we're starting. The people called to labor in the ministry of the word. If you remember last time, some people are called to a specific labor, a work of ministering in the word, right? You remember how when they instituted the diaconate, the apostle said, we need people to wait tables so that we can devote ourselves to the ministry of the word and prayer. They had to be devoted to it. And 1 Timothy 5.17 distinguishes two different types of elders. It talks about that the elders worthy of double honor are especially the ones that labor in preaching and teaching, implying some shepherds in the church are called to a particular labor in preaching and teaching that others are not. So if this is a calling from God, and the preacher then wants to carry out this calling faithfully, what does faithful preaching look like? Well, those called to labor in word and doctrine are to preach sound doctrine. And interestingly in this answer, this is the only part that gives any content to what the preaching is. Everything else is qualities of the preaching. This is the only thing that narrows in on what the content of preaching should actually be. And it's very, very broad, right? Because we know that... In history there's been different models of preaching um, different styles but the key here is that preaching needs to be sound doctrine that's what Paul instructed Titus to speak thou the things which become sound doctrine that is the things which be fit and are according to sound doctrine and the word for sound doctrine in scripture is the word for healthy healthy doctrine ro- robust doctrine nourishing doctrine truth and so if we find truth and true doctrine in the Word of God, it means that preaching needs to be biblical. And we use a phrase that says, preaching must accord with the rule of faith. So the rule of faith, um, you can think of in two ways. One is that every, the details are constrained by the whole. So you take, for instance, a summary of the teachings of the whole scriptures, say the Apostles' Creed, and you say, if your exposition is to accord with this true summary of Scriptures, it's going to accord with the truths of the Apostles' Creed or even more specifically in our tradition, with our confessions and catechisms, that is our summary of sound doctrine. Therefore, we can partially test the soundness of preaching by how well it accords with our standards. And that's, in a sense, just a shorthand way of getting to, is this sound or is this unsound? Speaking sound doctrine that accords with the rule of faith— So another way to think of the rule of faith, though, is simply to say that the more clear parts of scripture help interpret the less clear parts. So if someone's expositing a text and coming up with something unique and new, that's so obscure, but it doesn't jive with all the clear, true things we have. We say, that's probably not sound doctrine. You go with the clear things, the things the whole church confesses, the things we unite around, and use that as the rule that helps sift out and guide preaching. There's a sound doctrine that arises from a passage of Scripture, And when we're thinking of the doctrine that arises from a text, preaching is not just to be um, an explanation of every idea or word in the text. That's kind of more of a teaching. Preaching is not just exegesis, walking through a text word by word, saying this word means this, this passage means this, and just understanding it on that level. Preaching, um, it moves beyond that to a doctrine that arises from it. So you take a text of Scripture and you say... What is, the, what is a truth or what is a principle that this text is communicating? Whether it's a short text or a long text, what is a, a doctrinal truth that this is communicating? And doctrinal there doesn't have to mean like this is a head of systematic theology, but really what is a truth in this text that can be expounded and delivered? A truth that arises from the text. And so interestingly, along with, we're familiar with the Westminster Standards, the Confession and Catechisms, but that assembly of men, they also prepared a number of other documents. And one of them was called the Directory of Public Worship, where they actually walked through all the parts of worship and said, hey, this is a wise way to do the reading of Scripture. This is a wise way to do singing. And so I'm going to pull up And with some of these, we can get a better idea of what um, the divines were talking about when we look at how they actually talked about how preaching should be done more at length. So this is from, if you see DPW, that means the Directory of Public Worship. And so this is what they say. Ordinarily, the subject of a sermon is to be some text of scripture, holding forth some principle or head of religion, or suitable to some special occasion emergent. Or he may go on in some chapter, psalm, or book of the Holy Scripture, as he shall see fit. So they're already here giving flexibility. You can preach straight, verse by verse, through books of the Bible. Or you might just pick a text. Um, you, maybe you preach John three sixteen this week. Maybe you preach Genesis 1, 1 the next week. That sort of thing. As he shall see fit, in raising doctrines from the text, his care ought to be first... That the matter be the truth of God, right? So that's that sound doctrine. That what you're preaching from the text accords with the whole of Scripture. The whole of Scripture has a bearing, it's true. Second, that it's a truth contained or grounded in the text. Okay, this is important. There's a common error that goes on, which some people might call a right doctrine, wrong text. So someone takes a text and uses it to teach a doctrine that's true, but that doctrine doesn't really arise in that text. The, the text is more a springboard to get the preacher to what he wants to talk about. But they said the issue with that is that the... um. That the hearers may discern how God teaches it from the text. So if we want to have a th- trust in God's authority in the word, we really need to see that the principle being preached from the text is coming from the text. Because that means the text itself will be the authority and not the preacher. Okay, That's why it's so important that the doctrines, the main point taught is evidently coming from the text. Thirdly, that he chiefly insist upon those doctrines which are principally intended and make most for the edification of the hearers. So that is to say, every, because Scripture is so deep, every passage, every text has a number of truths that it might be communicating, uh, a number of things you could teach from it, but you want to pick the ones that are principally intended. right? So what is the main point in this text? Not that you may never pick a secondary point, but you want to aim for the more main points in the text and one that makes for the edification of the hearers. So in this, a preacher is using wisdom to say... Um, And uh, Tim Keller says this, every text has potentially a hundred different sermons in it. There's not just one right sermon that fits every text. You could go a lot of different directions, but you want to pick one that's faithful to the text and is going to help your specific flock. And so if we were to summarize this, what should be preached, and I would summarize this as saying, is that it should be an evident and edifying truth from a text— Okay? That's a good summary to think of what preaching ought to be. It's an evident truth that comes from a text of Scripture. That is, it's, it's obvious when the preacher explains it that this is coming from the text, but secondly that it's edifying. This is something that's particularly fitted and used to give life and health to the congregation. Okay? That's all this is really saying about what a sermon should be. Any comments or questions so far? Alrighty. So now the qualities of this evident, edifying truth from a text. The preacher ought to preach diligently. That is, you know, you don't want a lazy preacher, right? There's work put in in the study. Um, some preachers are more efficient than others, but on average, most sermons for most pastors take between ten and twenty hours to make. That's um, that's the average in sort of our circles. And so you don't want any lazy preaching, you want to take pains in the study, pains in prayer, in order to, as Paul said to Timothy, rightly divide the word of truth, right? It's a high calling to bring God's word to his people in a way that will be helpful, and so preaching needs to be diligent, it needs to be also in season and out of season. This is one of the premier texts on preaching. Paul says to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4.2 to preach the word and to be instant in season and out of season. Now, people actually have different ideas on what in season and out of season might exactly mean. Um, but but I take it to be um it's not just when you feel like it, right? If a, we were talking about earlier about when the crops are going to be done for the season, but if you could have land that was producing crops both in the summer and in the winter, um, it's continuously fruitful. So for the preacher, it's not just working hard preaching when you feel like it, when you're really hyped and in the zone. It's being diligent, faithful to bring the word continually week by week, Sunday by Sunday to God's people. Because preaching isn't just a hobby that you take up and you give up like you might golf or whatever. It's a calling, and it's a calling you need to be faithful in. Uh, Thirdly, preaching needs to be done plainly. This has always been really important in um, the Reformed tradition, that preaching be plain. So when this confession was written, it was in a time when... These Presbyterian writers were standing in stark contrast to the Anglican Church. This is the middle of the 17th century. And the Anglican preachers were known for being very educated, very eloquent, and very beautiful. And the preaching was, in a sense, amazingly crafted, but no one could understand it. People didn't really benefit from it because it was so convoluted and um, like, r- rhetorically flourishing. And so there was an emphasis in the Puritan movement to say that preaching needed to be plain. It needed to be understandable to help people. Uh, Preaching was not to impress. It was for understanding. And um, don't we know that there's times when you hear someone speak, and they say lots in really beautiful or helpful ways, but you don't actually end up getting anything out of it. Um, Sometimes preachers can act as what you might call like hype men. I'm I'm assuming most of you haven't been to a rap concert. But often there's the rapper and then there's like a hype man to the side. This guy is there to basically just like jump up and down, get the crowd into it and go like, yeah yeah, you know, at the appropriate moments. And they're there just to hype up the crowd. And sometimes preachers are there and they're hyping up the crowd with their words or their excitement, but not communicating any clear, helpful content. And so this can happen in a few different ways. Some This can happen when someone preaches too academically or obscurely, too much theological jargon, too much reformed distinction and nuance, where people get lost in these academic philosophical discussions. Uh, this can happen... When, when people preach too equivocally and obfuscate the truth. And that, um, I don't know if you've ever heard a preacher who, they'll never really take a stand on anything, and they always are so nuancing everything they say that the point never really comes across. They preach the point from the text, but then all the qualifications, it ends up not being plain, it loses its power, They won't. you feel like they're never saying what they really think. They're not being plain, they're obfuscating. This can happen even when people preach too beautifully or poetically. Some people do have just such a gift for language, but their literary skill is above um, what us average literary folks can um, understand. And so just like the poeticness, the imagery, you can get lost in that, and it makes it not plain. Or also, this happens when people preach too unclearly or in an unstructured way. They have a lot of good thoughts, but they're so disjointed and there's no logical progression that it's, again, unplain, difficult to follow. Uh, This is how the Directory of Public Worship expounds on this point. They say that the preacher should preach plainly, abstaining also from an unprofitable use of unknown tongues. That is, don't go so heavy into the Hebrew or Greek, which most people don't know, using strange phrases and cadences of sounds and words. I don't know if you grew up in a tradition where the preacher had a preaching voice that was like this sing-song thing, um, a, a lilt to it. And that's just... It's not plain. It's unprofitable. This cadence of sounds... And you should. the preacher should also sparingly be citing sentences of ecclesiastical or other human writers, ancient or modern, be they never so elegant. And this is a constant temptation. When you're studying, you come across all these great quotes from Calvin and Matthew Poole and Spurgeon, and you want to share them all. But often you realize quotes kind of go over people's heads. It's really hard to actually get a lot out of them. So they recommend being sparing in the use of quotes, which is interesting. You might not assume that um, from this you know, 1647 document. But they are just following the biblical example. In Nehemiah 8.8, 8, the people come together, and they read from the book, from the law of God, and the priests read it clearly. They gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. Right, So they helped the people come to clarity and understanding about the Word of God. And so to this end, structure is really important. Clarity in language and in terms and in um, diction is important. Using illustration is important, because illustrations help hammer home biblical truth. And the Directory of Public Worship again says, "...the illustrations of whatsoever kind ought to be full of light, and such as may convey the truth to the hearer's heart with spiritual delight." Uh, Charles Spurgeon was famous for his illustrations, and he used an illustration about illustrations when he said that, in preaching, illustrations are like the light that comes in through the stained glass windows. It doesn't bring anything new, but it allows you to see what is there more beautifully. When the light comes in, it doesn't change the content of the room, but but it adds um, shadow and color and distinction. And so illustrations are really important in preaching because that is often how the truths get actually nailed into people's minds. Um, I was at, we were advised in a class in seminary, um, Dr. Behe was saying that you, when, you're, when you're a young preacher, you really want people to just like be excited about the doctrinal truths of scripture. But he said you'll realize very, very quickly that after you preach, 75% of the comments people will make to you after are about the illustrations you used. It'll be, oh, I just really found that so helpful when you, when you likened the Lord to the sun and to photosynthesis, how we get um, energy from the spirit. And he said, it'll at first be kind of discouraging. You think, was not the doctrines I was teaching exciting? Why are you all up on the illustrations? But he said, you have to accept this is, seems to be the way God imprints these truths in our minds, when we tie it to real life examples, use illustrations and analogies. So it's really important to work at those illustrations, making sure they are actually accomplishing the task of making the truth more evident and not just being, you know, a brain break to, to get excited about, to help see more clearly. Any comments, questions? Oh, tea in my eye. <laughs> okay, preaching should not be in the enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. That's exactly what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2.4. He says, our words to you were not in the persuasive eloquence of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. And if you'll remember from a few weeks ago, when we talked about the means of grace, means like preaching are what the Holy Spirit uses to work salvation in his people. And so we know that preaching doesn't work by just communicating information, but by that information from the word being wielded like a sword in the hand of the Holy Spirit to do work. It's spirit and power. And therefore, I think that implies two things for us. One is that every preacher ought to be a praying preacher, Praying over their message, praying for the power of the Spirit to attend the preaching of the word, but then we also need to be praying for the preaching of the word, for our preachers and the message to be preached, that it would be attended by the power of the Holy Spirit. Spirit and power. But nextly, preaching needs to be done faithfully. So, again, similar to that idea of in season and out of season. If pastors are truly shepherds, which is what the word pastor means, it means they are accountable to God for how they shepherd the flock. So this idea of faithfulness is that a pastor is a steward, a steward, first of all, of the mysteries of God, but secondly, a steward of the sheep. And so to be faithful in this task is to be faithfully taking the truths you're stewarding and applying them for the benefit of the people you're stewarding. So it's a shepherding, it's an entrusting, it's a stewardship on behalf of God. Faithfully making known the whole counsel of God. When Paul's giving his farewell speech to the Ephesian church, he he reminds them how he taught them from house to house, publicly, privately, but he said, I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. The whole counsel of God. And this doesn't mean... That, that Paul exposited to them every verse in the whole Bible. Preaching the whole counsel of God means that you're taking the whole counsel, all the teachings of Scripture, and bringing them to bear and apply to everything in Scripture you're teaching. All these truths have a bearing. You're not missing any major chunks. You're not going against what the Scriptures teach. But in another sense, the whole counsel of God... Um, you can really think of it as the summary of the gospel message. That is, I didn't shun from declaring to you anything profitable for your salvation. To know the way to God through Christ, the work of the Holy Spirit, the creation of the world by the Father, um, God's nature, his attributes, what he expects of us. The whole counsel of God. And so that, that means, you know, preachers need to be careful to not pull punches, Um, when when a controversial thing arises from the text, or just be subject to the whims of the congregation, knowing, well, our people don't really like hearing messages on this, or that, or the other. You want to be faithful to preach the whole counsel of God. Also preaching wisely. Wisely. Wisdom in preaching is so important. Colossians 1.28, Paul says, The Jesus whom we preach, we preach him warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ. And so this is a great challenge in preaching. It's the challenge of wisdom, which is knowing how to discern between the good and the better, right? Because there's often so many good things you could do. And so to discern in this time what is going to be better, what is going to be best, And so you're you're trying to decide what series, what next preaching series will be best. Any series would be good from the Bible, but what's going to be best? What applications of this text are going to be the best applications suited to help my congregation? What are the most salient points to bring out in this text? What are the the most relevant details? What are the most helpful illustrations I could bring to bear? The need for wisdom is great. And the Directory of Public Worship reminds us of this. It says that the preacher, um, he needeth not always prosecute every doctrine which lies in his text, so is he wisely to make choices of such uses, as by his residence and conversing with his flock, he findeth most needful and seasonable. And amongst these, such as may draw their souls to Christ, the fountain of light, holiness, and comfort. So it's saying this wisdom is the wisdom of applying the word of God to a specific people of God. And that's the wisdom, knowing how to... So like wisdom personally is knowing how to take the principles of the word and apply them to your life and your situation. Wise preaching is the same thing. And so this really leads us into that next point, that they need to be applying themselves to the necessities and capacities of the hearers. Every congregation is different, has different needs, different capabilities. And Paul knew this when he was dealing with the Corinthians. He said that, he said, I fed you with milk and not with meat for hitherto you were not able to bear it. And even now you're not able. He's saying, I knew that in this season, I had to preach you really simple doctrines, the most basic truths over and over because you were at an immature state, right? The Corinthian church was freshly converted in a pagan city. They really needed the basics, And so preachers must know their congregation. You need to know what's the general education level of this flock. What's the general level of their engagement with the culture? What are the most pressing issues for them? What are the most prevalent temptations and idolatries for them? What's the general temperament and background that this people comes from? Right? Tim Keller is going to preach very differently to his church in New York City than a preacher out in a rural county would. Because the necessities and capacities of their hearers are so different. And that can be a danger with multi-site videoing in of preaching, especially when it starts going in great distances, is that the people receiving a word, although it's biblically true, the word has not been fitted for their particular needs as a community. Right, If you're in a congregation, the congregation's just gone through a dramatic loss, and they're in a time of grief. Yet the pastor being videoed in doesn't know that. He doesn't know that the sermon ought to be adjusted to particularly be suited to people in a time of grief. And so there's deficiencies in a lot of these contemporary ways people are trying to disseminate preaching. You have to know the flock, which also applies that preachers need to be among the people. Often in larger churches, pastors are really just holed up in meetings with the with the upper crust in the church. They're just out in the study or traveling on the road, and they're never actually hobnobbing among the actual people. And so you can slowly get a disconnect with what real people are dealing with, what real normal people are struggling with. Um, if you when you get into these some of these larger things, and so even by way of example. Um, there's a huge difference in the needs of um, of the people in the churches I grew up around versus when I moved here. And one of the noticeable differences was how people relate to the um, problem of assurance of salvation. So in the context I grew up in, one of the biggest problems in the church was presumption. Everyone assumed that because... Um, This person prayed the sinner's prayer at four years old in Aunt Sally's Bible class. Uh, She's for sure a Christian, even though she's living a life totally in the world, totally immoral and sinful. And it was really important to try to teach people um, the marks of grace, that there is true salvation and regeneration that changes your life, and to not assume that you're saved so easily. Whereas often when that same message gets translated into this context, where people grew up struggling not with presumption of salvation, but struggling with whether they could ever have assurance of salvation, that message often does much to harm and to discourage God's people because the needs are different. And so I find in this context, it's much often more important to preach messages of comfort to help bring assurance that the faith that is there is a genuine, sincere faith, and they can have assurance. Whereas that message, it would lead to presumption in a different context. And so even in that, um, and I noticed people that grew up in um churches that struggled with assurance, the way they could speak to people that were struggling with that issue. When I was like, I've never known anyone that struggled in this way. um, You're so skilled in that, and you're so fitted uh, to, to that sort of work. So you apply yourself to the particular needs in your church, in your context. Anyone got any comments or questions to add as we keep going? Preaching also zealously. We read in Acts of Apollos, he was instructed in the way of the Lord and being fervent in spirit. He spoke and taught diligently the things of the Lord, even though he knew only the baptism of John. So Apollos is said to be an eloquent man and one who was zealous. He was fervent in his spirit. And again, in preaching, we have to be careful here that the desire to be zealous doesn't turn into affectation. That is, putting on airs, putting on a false passion and excitement to try to arouse an emotion in the congregation. Zeal is not necessarily this outward flamboyant passion but it's a deep conviction in your heart that God deserves all the glory that God deserves our obedience and our trust and that conviction um, that desire that God receive all glory that's a zeal in the heart of the preacher and you want you want it to be clear that on the stage all the energy is coming really from the heart not from some show. Preaching is not its not a, a monologue or a soliloquy in a play. And it needs to be done with fervent love to God. Uh, this is what Paul says, the love of Christ constrains us because we judge that if one died for all, then all have died. And it continues that he died for all that those who live may no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for their sakes. And so there's a controlling interest um, that love to God ought to be the driving heart of the preacher, even more than the desire to help people, even more than the desire to show forth truth. It's all done out of love for God and with the desire for the increase of love for God. And this is what John Piper calls expository exaltation, that in expositing the scriptures, it ought to lead to an exalting in God, a rejoicing in God, both in the preacher, modeling it in the preaching, but then also in the people. Or you could say it this way, that the end of all preaching is for doxology. That is for the praises of God, for increased love for God, increased affection for God, increased delight and rejoicing in God. Fervent love for God is at the heart of preaching. And there's a sense in which then a minister who's been enraptured with the love of God can speak of what he's seen and heard. I was reading in Psalm 66 this morning, David says, come you who fear God and I will tell you what he has done for my soul. The preacher has to have experienced the things of God of which he's preaching and in that sense he's a salesman for what he's experienced right you know that if you've like got a product or experienced something that was just so wonderful you just want to tell everyone out of that overflow you've gone to a great new restaurant it's like oh you've got to go check out this restaurant it's so great or you know I was thinking a couple of days ago Julie was telling of uh, the people that were over how they've got to get mint mobile it's the best cell phone provider just so glad I switched over mint mobile wow um, not even getting paid by mint to say such things but when you find something you love You talk about it from this delighted place. It's not this forced, you know, I'm trying to sell this vacuum door to door and this is a great vacuum. You should really buy this vacuum. You know, it's coming from a deep place of the heart. So the preacher preaches with love for God and for the souls of his people. This was Paul's heart again and again. He told the Corinthian church, I will very gladly spend and be spent for you, even though the more abundantly I love you, the less I'm loved. And so a pastor must truly care for the spiritual good of his people. And the old term for pastoral ministry was the term soul care. That was the pastor's preeminent duty, to be one who was in the business of caring for souls, like a physician for souls. As the doctor cares for the body, so the minister, the elders, to care for the souls of people. In... um. In these times, they used to distinguish between those that would be called to be teachers or doctors, they called them, in the seminary, and those that would be pastors in the local church. And they said, the difference, you know, between a seminary professor and a pastor, they say, the professor is an expert in exegeting the word of God. That is, he's an expert in using the original languages, getting to the heart, knowing the biblical theology. But the pastor, they said, is an expert in the souls of men. That the thing that distinguishes the gifting of a local church minister from a professor is that a local church pastor, although he ought to be competent in all these tools of the word of God, has a particular knack for knowing how to bring that to apply to the relevant issues in people's life. That is, there's an aspect of psychology that's important to understand. And so a bad preacher is one that is not emotionally aware, that is an aloof personality that really doesn't get people. Right? We all know those people that have low emotional awareness, low empathy, low ability to understand. But this ability to be an expert in understanding how do temptations drive people, how do people's minds work when they're being drawn away, how will people understand and comprehend this doctrine. You really have to understand people far more than in an academic context. They preach sincerely, that is, you know, they're doing this really out of love for God, not for the social respect, not for the paycheck, not for the lifestyle. The minister really believes what he practices. Um, aiming at God's glory, that is, um, H.B. Charles says, ultimately when you're preaching, you want to recognize that you're preaching to an audience of one. The, the point at the end is, did, it's not, did people like that sermon, did people appreciate it, but was God-pleased, was God pleased with how I handled and presented his word. Aiming at God's glory and the the conversion, the conversion of God's people. Uh, Paul says, I'm in anguish, the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. And the greatest result of preaching is the regeneration and conversion of the sinner. And even though it perhaps only happened on occasion... In a preaching ministry, um, it is the greatest delight of the minister of the gospel. It's not the only thing a preacher is ever aiming for. Uh, Ministry is not um, wasted if, say, no one was converted in a year. Um, The saints are edified, built up, God is glorified. But it's a particular joy when God uses preaching... To to bring sinners from darkness to light. And so we do need to call people to repentance and faith. And as I've said before, the call to repentance and faith isn't just for the unconverted, but for every believer every day. I need to repent of my sins today. I need to have faith in Christ today, just like someone that's never done that before. So of course, we're always preaching for faith and repentance and the edification of God's people. Conversion and edification. Paul talks about this all the time. The one who prophesies, who speaks God's word, they build up the church. Built up on that foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ as the cornerstone. And edification just means built up. Or you can think of it as coming to maturity. Maturing especially into Christ-likeness. Edification and salvation. And remember, salvation is a holistic concept that includes redemption from sin's past, increasing freedom from sin's present, and final total freedom from sin in the future. Preaching is unto salvation, past, present, and future. Thus, the the larger catechism on preaching. Now, I thought I'd conclude this by actually reading you guys what our Orthodox Presbyterian Church book and directory of public worship says about preaching. So we actually have a a book in the OPC that recommends how to do a church service. And here's what they say about preaching, which brings in a lot of these concepts, and I hope um, you'll find helpful. So they say, The preaching of the word, the power of God unto salvation, is indispensable in the public worship of God. It is therefore a matter of supreme importance that the minister preach only the word of God, not the wisdom of man, and that he handle the word of God correctly, always setting forth Jesus Christ, the author and finisher of our faith. In the sermon, God addresses the congregation by the mouth of his servant, and through his spirit opens the ears of his people. The preacher shall prepare each sermon prayerfully and diligently. He may not use a text merely as a point of departure, but must take pains to expound the chosen text, bringing in other texts as applicable, carefully explaining the meaning, and diligently applying the particular text or texts for the salvation and edification of his hearers. He should take care in preaching that his exposition and application of the Scriptures be clear and simple, having regard to the capacity of his hearers, in demonstration of the Spirit and power, with fervor and zeal, and that he not divorce Christian duty from Christian faith. If you remember in Larger Catechism, Question 6, it says, The Scriptures principally teach what we should believe concerning God and the duty God requires of man, doctrine and duty. Um, the, the two big parts of Scripture. The preacher must, as Christ's ambassador, seek to build up the saints in the most holy faith and beseech the unconverted to be reconciled with God. Nothing is more necessary than that the gospel of salvation by grace be proclaimed without any adulteration or compromise, in order that the hearers may learn to rely for salvation only on the grace of God in Christ, to the exclusion of their own works or character, ascribing all glory to God alone for their salvation." The preacher is to instruct his hearers in the whole counsel of God, exhort the congregation to more perfect obedience to Christ, and warn them of the sins and dangers that are all around them and within them. A preacher fails to perform his task as a God-appointed watchman on Zion's walls who neglects to warn the congregation of prevalent soul-destroying teachings by enemies of the gospel." That's a great summary of the preaching we believe in and are after in the Orthodox Presbyterian Church. And I just love, I find the most helpful way to think of preaching is just in these two parts. Carefully explaining the meaning of the text and diligently applying it. That's all that preaching is. It's, as it says later, it's exposition and application. Expositing, explaining what the Word of God means and then applying it to our lives for our use. There are church traditions that don't believe really in applying the word. Um, There are some really well-known preachers who say that the preacher actually shouldn't apply the word of God. That's the job of the Holy Spirit. Um, I won't name names, but... These two parts are essential to biblical preaching. It is exposition and exhortation, explaining and applying. Those are the two parts, and that's really just what we're looking for in a sermon. Was the Word of God explained, and was the Word of God applied? Um, any final comments or questions? Perfect. Well, let's uh, go to God in prayer, and you prepare to hear the Word of God, which we're looking at next week. Heavenly Father, again, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you've given it to enlighten our eyes, to instruct us in paths of righteousness. And we do ask for a greater love of your word, and not only your word read, but your word proclaimed, your word explained, your word applied to our lives. Would we be diligent students who would receive these explanations into our memory, and receive the applications into our lifestyles that we would be those that do the Word and not merely hear it. We do ask for all who preach to us the Word of God, that they would be equipped with spirit, power, and might, to be faithful always, faithful to your word, to do the work it takes to understand it, and the work it takes to faithfully apply it to the good of your people. Would we all be richly blessed week in, week out, as we sit under the preaching of your word? And would the preachers be blessed in their preaching? We ask your help for us even this very morning. As we hear the word of God, we ask for your preacher that he will be blessed. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.